Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. This is Danny. Join me as we go deep into God's Word, as we discover the hidden gems and hidden treasures that God has made available to us all if we would have but ears to hear and eyes to see. As you come with me on this journey, let's explore God's Word and see what He desires to show and tell us in our day. This may be your first time or the next time, but I welcome you here. Let's dig in and see what the Lord has for us today. Well, hello, everyone. Thanks for taking the time to check out this first episode. Uh, it's exciting. Um, looking forward to what I feel the Lord has today. And this actually came in my study, partly entered yesterday and um, also came in this morning. And so I just want to pass this on. And by no means is it completed. I do believe that it is a doorway into greater understanding. And so just to kind of lay some expectation around what some of these episodes will look like, what you may experience in them, I want it to be very natural and organic. I don't want a script. I don't want it to be necessarily just perfectly polished. I just want to share as the Lord reveals and brings to my mind. I do have some some notes that I've just written as I've asked questions in my own personal study. And so I just want to share that with you. And we'll just go from there. So I just pray that the Lord bless me and give me words to say. So my initial journey started in Matthew 17, verses 14 through 21. And this is immediately following the transfiguration where Jesus took Peter, James, and his brother John, and they went up to this mountain. And Jesus was transfigured. He changed in appearance. Perhaps a better definition would be that he was unveiled and they were able to behold his glory. Now, there's an encounter that goes on there, um, which is not the intention of our exploration today. It actually is, like I said, verse 14, and it's immediately following the transfiguration. So in Matthew of seventeen fourteen, it, it reads, When they came to the crowd, a man, a man came to him, knelt before him, and said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers terribly. Some translations say he has seizures. It goes on to say, He often falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Jesus answered, You faithless and perverse generation, how much longer must I be with you? How much longer must I put up with you? Bring him here to me. 
It sounds definitely like a frustrated Jesus on the surface at the very least. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the boy was cured instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? He said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I tell you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Now there's a footnote in my Bible, and it says other um, ancient authorities add verse 21, and it's a continuation, and says, but this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. Upon the beginning of my journey, and and we see this very often, but the scriptures, especially in the Gospels, say Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, the demon, rebuked the illness. And so my first question was, when we read of Jesus rebuking illness or demons or any other thing, what does it mean that, that Jesus rebuked? What does that look like? Because I think if we better understand what, what the, the word, then we can have a better picture of, well, what does, this, what does this look like for him? And therefore, what does it look like for me? How can I take what I see in the scripture, what I understand, what's revealed to me, and how can I apply it in my own life? Now, I would warn you at the very beginning, the, the onset of, of your exploration is God's not interested in cookie-cutter processes. And we typically, you know, as sons and daughters of God, we like things very cut and dry. And we like things predictable and easy, easily processable. And, but that's just, not, that's just not how God works all the time. The minute I believe that he becomes predictable as we understand him, we can often expect a sudden change because um, I believe it's safe to say that, um, well, I believe that God doesn't take kindly to being thought of as predictable. And in in a part you can see throughout throughout the gospel account the, the narrative, you can see the the process the way in which Jesus provides deliverance to many of those who have who come to him. You see this varying approach. So, as you, most revelation begins with the process of a question, something that you see triggers your your thought. It it stirs up a question inside of you and that's and that's exactly what happened to me and it was what is it to say that Jesus rebuked what does that look like so if you look at the word in greek for rebuked there um, i'm going to butcher this but uh, epitimao e p i t i m a o Sorry, you Greek scholars. And it, if you look it up in the lexicon, it, it means a host of things. 
depends on the application, but as I as I navigated through them, one that seemed very processable and was relevant to this particular scripture, as it, it in the context, it it means to restrain, and I think of it like this: it it is as a child that's playing where it should not, and you are saying you are not permitted. So when Jesus rebukes uh, a unclean spirit, uh, a spirit that is causing illness, infirmity, uh, demonic presence, to rebuke it is a form of saying, you cannot be here, you're not permitted, you're restraining them. Now, I'm also going to look in, and I'm going to give you an example of this in Mark 9.25. And I believe that this account in Mark's gospel sheds a little bit of light on what that rebuke looks like. Now, this particular story, this healing of a boy that had an unclean spirit, uh, an evil spirit that Jesus cast out, it actually appears in all three of the synop- the synoptic gospels, and that synoptic just means it's uh, from the same vantage point, same uh, same perspective, um, not in the sense of the same author, but they're all cohesively accounting of towards the same thing, and whereas John's is not considered that, it's uh, more focused on. The identity, the um, the theology, the it, it's a different perspective and a different. Maybe you could say um, a different objective. So, um, but like I said, this account, this story appears in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and also interestingly, they all are presented to us right. After the transfiguration. So that's an interested note. Now in Mark 9.25. Like I said. It says this. When Jesus saw. That a crowd came running together. He rebuked the unclean spirit. Saying to it. Okay so now. We see he's rebuking this unclean spirit. And he says this. Now, I believe this paints us a little further picture of what it looks like to rebuke. He says to the spirit, you spirit that keeps this boy from speaking and hearing, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. So this absolutely coincides, uh, cohesively exemplifies this idea of restraining Something, and in the case of this story, it's a spirit that is causing this boy to be unable to speak or hear. Now, as many have said before, we we also cannot make the mistake of associating this type of dysfunction. You know, he's he's having seizures. We we can't always say that that well that is the work of a of a spirit uh, that is causing that. We can't. We must be careful making broad generalizations. However, in this case, and in many cases, uh, that can that can be and is the case. 
So as the first question I asked, what does it mean that Jesus rebuked? What does that look like? And here, this paints this perfect picture of what that looks like in Mark 9, 25. You spirit that keeps this boy from speaking and hearing, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. So we are effectively saying, uh, as a, a child of God, and Jesus here shows us, you are effectively saying, you are not permitted to be here. And you are required to leave. It's important to remember that as an agent of God's kingdom, as sons and daughters of God, those who have, who have laid down their own lives and taken up um, the, the life that is in Jesus, we are now agents of God's kingdom. And in that agency, we have authority. Now, not in of ourself, but the authority of whom that has sent us. And so in that authority, then, we have been deputized. So a sheriff can have deputies, and a sheriff gives that deputy, he says, you work for me, you're my agent, and you speak on my behalf, so I'm deputizing you. It's, it's also, in a sense, think of it as you are being baptized into the name of the sheriff. So let that, let that actually resonate with you um, as it relates to you know, baptism that we see both in the natural, in the scripture, and in the spiritual. To be baptized in the name of. So as we think about this perspective, this led me to the next you know, ponderance is as an agent of God's kingdom now, we have authority and therefore we have been deputized to transact. Now, as I begin to think about that, um, so authority. Now, have we been given authority? Was, was that kind of continued question? And, and I want to show that in Matthew chapter 10, and it is in verse about verse 1. So Jesus, it says, Then Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. And Matthew goes on to name who those 12 apostles are. So it said, Then Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out to cure every disease and every sickness. Okay, now a great question to ask when you read that, and a lot have struggled with this perspective, does that commission apply to me? Because explicitly in the text, it says that Jesus summoned his 12 and gave them authority. So it'd be very easy or even natural to think, well, he gave it to them, that doesn't mean he gave it to me. So I want to actually uh, shed some light or and, and or fix that thinking. So with the great question, does that commission apply to me? We will, we will actually go then to Matthew. Again, chapter 28. And we're going to be in verse 16. And this we see, uh, Jesus has 
died, he has resurrected, and now he is nearly to depart from his disciples. And it says in verse 16, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee. Now we, uh, you should think oh, eleven, I thought there were twelve. Well, by this point, Judas had um, had took his own life after his betrayal of Jesus. So, so now there's eleven. They went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, right there, you can you, you see that there will be some that hear and see, and some that will not. And Jesus, in verse eighteen, and Jesus came and said to them, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore." And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Remember, remember what we said in as it related to deputizing. In in a sense, you are baptized in the name of the sheriff. Hmm. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them. Here it is to obey everything that I have commanded you. Okay, so Jesus tells them, all authority has been given in heaven and earth to me. Now, I tell you, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So that is very important in verse 20. He says, teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Now, this is a this is a bit of a jump that a connection that you that you need to make. Remember in chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus summoned his 12 and he gave them authority to uh, to over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. Then if you go on into verse 5, Jesus sent out the following instructions. So now he's giving them some framework, some, some groundwork. Of, Here's what you do. Here's where you go. In verse 7, it says, As you go, proclaim the good news. So he says, Say these things. Tell this great news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, verse 8, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without payment, give without payment. Okay, so verse 8 now is that commission. His, It's the order that Jesus gave to the disciples. He said, go, I've given you authority, now cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. Now, what did Jesus tell them as he departed them? He said, teach them to obey everything in chapter 28. Teach them, verse 20, teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Jesus commanded them to, what? Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. If you, if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, then you can see that the commission that he gave the twelve also applies to all of the disciples in which they would make following that directive that Jesus gave them in chapter 28. 
Go, make disciples. Teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. He commanded them what? Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Now, it's important to see this because if in fact there was no authority to do the, those things that he commanded them, then Jesus was sending them on a suicide mission. It would be futile to 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 be sent in in the in the inability to execute that in which you were commanded. So if we now as you know 2000 years later we sit with the same commission cure the sick raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. The authority exists because the command is given. So the Matthew, the Matthew chapter 10, verse 7 through 8 commission applies to us today. Now, as that establishes that you've been sent and you've been deputized, so that's authority. It's important to remember, right? We said this at the beginning. Without the authority of the one who sends you, the sent one has no backing. So if, if a person who is not the sheriff says, you are to go, I deputize you, to act on my behalf as sheriff. Well, if he's not the sheriff, he has no authority. But because we know that Jesus the Christ has all authority on heaven, in heaven and upon earth, we know that that, that backing is, is good, is trustworthy. Now, we go back to our original, our original place of you know, this encounter where the disciples... They could not deliver this. Uh, they could not deliver this boy, and they're perplexed at it. So, again, we'll we'll switch back into Mark, but Matthew seventeen, where where we originally were. The disciples came to Jesus, and they said to him, "Why could we not cast it out?" And he said to them, "Because of your little faith. For truly I tell you, if you have the faith, the size of a mustard seed." You will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. And then I'll add in the footnote, but this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. Now, this, this, this part troubles people because it, it doesn't seem to necessarily consistently be in all the text. So is it added in? Is it, should it be there? Should it not be there? Well, let's not get too caught up in that because I believe that that addition, whether it be an addition or not, can still complement that which, which Jesus sheds light on them as they ask him, why could we not cast it out? His, his initial immediate response is because of your little faith. Now, if we go back to Mark, There's some additional detail that, that is given to us that provides a backdrop that is important for the setting. And remember, we said Jesus comes down off the mountain 
after being transfigured, and he's got his three, you know, top guns. James, um, Peter, and John. And they're coming back off the mountain. They've just had this revelation, this wild encounter with the unveiled presence of Jesus, of God himself. And they come off of this mountaintop experience. And it says when they, Jesus and his three disciples, when they came to the disciples, so the others, so nine, the other nine, they saw a great crowd around them. So remember, this is Mark 9, 14. They saw a great crowd around them. So picture the nine of the disciples kind of in the center and around them was a great crowd. As We know it was a good-sized one because it was a great crowd. And some scribes, so we've got some religious leaders there arguing with them. So I, I imagine arguing with the disciples, maybe amongst themselves, with some of the other crowd as they're spectating. Verse 15 says, when the whole crowd saw him, who? Jesus. He's coming off the mountain. When the whole crowd saw him, they were immediately overcome with awe and they ran forward to greet him. So when Jesus comes off the mountain, he finds his disciples encompassed in this perhaps intense argument. This is not a situation that you would want to be in as a disciple, especially in the context of what we know has happened, and that is the disciples were unable to deliver this boy from an evil spirit. Now, we can only presume some things, but I don't believe that it's unwise to do so as it paints for us perhaps a better picture or a setting of what this may have looked like. But but imagine for a moment that you are one of these nine disciples here and you have just went out on a limb to try to provide some freedom, some deliverance for this afflicted boy. And it didn't work. And now just picture all these people who are there, this, the, the pressure of performing, of executing your objective, and, and you've completely flopped on your face. And you've probably done it in front of countless people. And now you have the religious leaders. You know, think of our some of the religious voices of today. And they're arguing with you and amongst others and, and likely calling you, you a false this and a false that and, and questioning the validity of your sentness, S-E-N-T. And so there's this bitter, this bitter, bitterly engaged encounter and fortunately, Jesus comes off the mountain to the rescue. Who knows what could have happened, right? The religious leaders, um, you know, calling all these, you know, they're these some of the big shots of the day, you know, crowd, a great crowd of people. Who knows what could have happened? These, these disciples could have gotten stoned shortly after. You know, the, the, the Old Testament was pretty clear on, on um, you know, false uh, false prophets and stoning and so these nine could have very well been on the on their way to death had not Jesus intervened 
this the mob mentality can be fierce and and you know it's like a hungry pack of piranhas so you know great timing jesus and clearly we need some help and so i think it is significant in verse 15, you see, it says, when the whole crowd saw Jesus, they were immediately overcome with awe. His presence stepped into the area and it immediately shifted the environment, the atmosphere. Immediately shifted it. And it was so necessary because there was some heatedness going on here in this in this moment. And so... They were, they were immediately overcome with awe and they ran to greet him. And he asked them, the people, the disciples, the religious leaders, what are you arguing with them? What are you arguing about with them? Someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. And whenever it seizes him, it dashes him down and he foams and grinds his teeth, becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they could not do so. He answered them, you faithless generation, how much longer must I be among you? How much longer must I put up with you? Bring him to me. Just like we saw in Matthew, it sounds like a frustrated Jesus. And they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Now, we get a little bit of detail here from Mark that we didn't get from Matthew. And that's the beauty of the differing perspectives is the reporter, it's not a cookie-cutter reporting of the details. And so don't get caught up that that it's detailed differently in Mark or Luke than it is in Matthew and vice versa. It's, it's actually wonderful that we get that because it, it, they add layers upon layers of the significance that's found in those encounters, in those moments of, of witness. If you'll, if you'll notice something I believe is important to catch and it's easily missed Jesus comes on the scene and there's this big crowd and there's this frustration many times in in Jesus's miracle working he actually he actually pulled himself away from the crowd to do great deeds and I think that's significant because Oftentimes, not that, not that Jesus responds to pressure like we do, but there can be this atmosphere, this presence, this anticipation, and it can cause great frustration if, if we fold under that pressure. So, if I am a disciple in this moment now, and I understand, you know, I'm definitely presuming some things, but we've seen the example of Jesus numerous times of his in, you know, he would, he would send people out of a room who had unbelief. 
we know that in one gospel account that he he says in his own even in his own hometown he didn't do many great deeds because of the people's unbelief so he would send people out of the room send them away he would withdraw himself he would go out he would leave the town with the with the blind man and rub spitting mud on his eyes um, and send them to to go wash I think there is something significant that we should draw from that, that we should learn from that. Now, and so very possibly these disciples attempt this thing in front of all these people, this great multitude, great crowd of people, perhaps. And the pressure is added when when things aren't happening like you think they should. You know, these disciples command them, no doubt, the Spirit to, to come out of him. But then nothing happens, and he's still afflicted. And everybody's looking on, and you don't understand. And suddenly, your faith is plummeting. And, and when Jesus provides some correction to them privately, he says, your, your faith, you have such little faith. Oftentimes, when we ask God to do something to move in a certain way and He doesn't do it exactly like we anticipated it, we take a step back and we're, we're, we're overcome with, with, you know, wow, I don't understand. You know, where were you? But in those times, in those encounters, in those opportunities, they're, they're, they're privileges to say, you know, I trust God. And though it may not work exactly like I think it would or will, he is able and he is capable. And I believe him for it. So, careful. Be careful what we do in the midst of crowds. I think that's significant. Now, Jesus asked them a question, and it's a rhetorical. What are you arguing about with them? He knows. But, but I believe he wants to give a f- framework to process the situation for, so that everyone could process it, even for us today. If he didn't ask this question, we would have no understanding as to perhaps the, the issue at hand. He's, he's even thinking of those who would read the account, you know, thousands of years later. So they brought him the boy. The spirit convulses because it recognizes presence. It knows this is not a good place for me to be. And we know that Jesus provides this deliverance. And it's clear in the response of Jesus out of Matthew verse 20 that they lacked faith. Now, it also, in Mark, Jesus says this kind comes out only through prayer and then adds a footnote of in fasting. Now, this is this is something I just want to quickly touch on. The you know whether this should be there, whether it should not be there. What is you know what's the what's the what's the deal? Jesus has has made clear and explicit countless times. Anything is possible through faith. Anything can be done 
for those whom believe. So, but as we address in the following aspect, this kind, this perhaps um, order of demon, this particular kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. Now, prayer and fasting both serve many functions, but absolutely they serve to increase faith. So they actually supplement one's faith. So verse in out of Matthew 17, verse 21, through prayer and fasting, actually serves to increase verse the verse 20 reality is because of your little faith. By prayer and fasting, you actually can supplement faith. So the root of the issue is their lack of faith. Now, another perspective that I would, would provide, and um, you may agree or disagree, and that's okay, but he says this kind does not come out except by prayer. If you look at if you look at that perspective alone, you you would likely see in the disciples' encounters there's a command. I command you, unclean spirit, to come out. Um, a perspective that that they could have missed is well, maybe what Jesus is saying here is that it's not just a command that has this kind doesn't necessarily respond to a a command that you give them but actually you must pray well pray for what pray for god to work the mighty deed because the strength of of this kind is is perhaps too superior to what you bring to the table in that moment does your faith affect your authority does your faith block or impede your authority? Now, this is a question that I want to leave you with as we've reached our time limit for this particular study. But begin to explore that thought. And what does the scripture teach us? What, How do we process that question in light of what Jesus has said and what he shows us. Thanks for tuning in on this and I bless you and look forward to our next meeting coming soon. Thanks for joining me. I hope this blessed your heart and you leave with something special. Let us press in to know him more. Let us press in to know him more. And he will find us in seeking and seek us in finding. God bless you.